Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, to the Byline Times podcast. This time, a great day for free speech. Carol Cadwallader's libel victory against Aaron Banks. Cadwallader said in a TED talk and a tweet that multimillionaire Banks, an ardent Brexiter who funded the Leave.eu campaign, had lied over his relationship with the Russian state. Had she lost, the investigative journalist would have faced financial ruin. But in the High Court, Mrs Justice Steen ruled that she had reasonable grounds to believe that her intended meaning was true and upheld her public interest defence. We'll hear shortly from Peter Dukes, co-founder and executive editor of Byline Times, a sometime journalistic collaborator with Carol Cadwallader, a good friend too. Before we do, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are supported by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper edited by Hardeep Mathara. You really should give it a read. And if you do so, you're helping to make sure that we can stay on the air. So find more details at our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. That'll tell you exactly how and how much it costs to subscribe. So head over to bylinetimes.com. And if you've already taken out a subscription, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Peter Jukes, welcome along, Peter. Firstly, just I've got to get your reaction to the to the fact that Carol Cadwallader has won. Oh, my goodness. Well, there are two elements of this. I must um, recognise that since I first met her in 2017, and collaborated with her on several stories. Carol is a friend. So I'm, as they say, party pre. I'm partisan in that respect. And in all fairness, we must recognize there will be friends and associates and family members of Aaron Banks who will be disappointed. So on a personal level, let me get that out of the way. I mean, tears of relief. I didn't think I was worried about it. I knew the judgment was coming when I saw Carol and Harold Evans' memorial service on Thursday. Uh, and I thought, oh, it'll be fine. But I <laughs> sleep this night, strange nightmares. Um, slightly relieved by reading in full Gavin Miller, her QC's final defense submission, which emphasizes this thing about the public interest defense. So apart from the personal level, let me just talk professionally. Um, it is very important to note what happened here in the court process. The articles, the emails that I obtained with Carol Cadwalder were published in showed multiple meetings between Levy officials and members of the Russian embassy, including the ambassador, were published in June 2018. They remain online. They've never been challenged. There were very follow-up articles about Banks' relationship with Russia in the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, Channel 4 News, never been challenged. Uh, and then Carol gives a TED Talk. There is 24 words basically saying Aaron Banks lied about his multiple meetings with the Russian embassy, basically that. And he sued her on the basis of that. Now, you have to ask yourself why her, not the Observer, the New York Times, myself. Um, and then we go to this, uh, unfortunately, this part of the court process, moment of the first hearing, which is about meaning, right? So I know for an absolute goddamn fact that Carol never said he took any money from the Russians. In fact, one of the first, when I showed her the emails, we we're both sort of agape about all these meetings, sharing FBI documents, all that. But the one of the first things she said was, was no sign he took any money, right? But the judge in that first hearing deemed 
that basically she was saying, because it's all about meaning and what a reasonable member of the audience would, of the readership or the audience of the TED Talk would infer that he lied because he'd taken the money. And Cow's always said she's never intended that. So suddenly we went from the truth defense where he'd be on the stand, he'd have to disclose all his documents to a public interest defense. Now, this is where it's really important for journalism. As you and I know, there are you're probing in the dark often, especially with businessmen with you know offshore accounts, who is sort of as the parliamentary committee DCMS said, you know, was deceptive. Even the judge wasn't convinced by some of Aaron Banks' evidence. And you ask questions, you make out points, and you're looking for truth. Now, some of the implications of those questions could be seen to be defamatory. And if you ask a member of the public about their sex life or something like that, there'd be a very good libel tipic case because there's no public interest defense. When you're coming to something as vast as is important, in fact, Gavin Miller calls it public interest par excellent as Russian interference in the British electoral process. There is a protected element of that speech. I, a truth defense is tough. You, know, you have to almost go beyond all reasonable doubt to prove something. And Carol never said he took the money, so she could never prove that. But these were legitimate questions to be raised in the public sphere against or towards somebody who had a, was the biggest political donor in British history, was in a way the key funder of Brexit. And the fact he was not honest about these multiple meetings with the Russian embassy in the run-up to Brexit, where they offered him gold and diamond deals. And so I think this is the important thing for people to understand, journalists to understand. A politician, political speech, asking what's happened in matters of great national moment like the Brexit referendum, asking questions about government officials and what's happened to public money, is of a different order of me asking what Adrian Goldberg's weird football preferences are. It clearly, it, he's a robust man. He's subject to a lot of criticism anyway. And his claim against Carol was that serious harm had happened to his reputation. But apparently, not only all these other articles, you know, many more, just these 24 words that appeared in her TED speech. Now, the judge has ruled that he thinks that it was the fact, the how those emails were obtained which really incensed him. And he still claimed, as she said, it was inaccurate, that they were stolen, they were hacked. These are the kind of accusations, which I could have sued Aaron Banks for libel for. He accused me of hacking and blackmailing to get these emails, which I did not. Of course, as a journalist, I just don't go around suing people unless it's something really, really serious. And uh, so it is important for journalists to bear in mind accuracy matters. But there is an element when you're debating public money huge national or historic moments where there is, if you reasonably believe what at the time what you're saying is in the public interest, you have a defense. And fortunately, this judgment, thanks to Gavin Miller's submission, elevates that, elevates the fact that political speech and journalists were dealing with, you know, wealthy billionaires and their, their effects on the political process have some protection. But the problem is a public interest defense, just to finally, the stress of it is then the burdens all on the defendant. If it's a truth defense, Carroll could have asked for every bit of device, every bit of information, everything that Aaron Banks possesses, his computers, his phones. Instead, it goes the other way around. So I think there were like 170,000 data points 
in all the material Carol Cadwalder had to give up to the plaintiff's legal team, big legal team. Every email, every direct message, every uh, every you know WhatsApp signal message handed over to the, the Bauman Banks' team. And you can imagine, and she's alone, she's not, the, the observer not backing her financially. It's just her on the line, millions in costs at stake. And, you know, a sole woman journalist, nearly always a woman, isn't it, under this level of attack. The psychological costs of that I've seen, they are incredible. They are, especially with outriders like Guido Fawkes, you know, taking selective bits of the judgment, attacking all the time, the trolling she gets on social media, the threats, uh, the psychological pressures are just intolerable. And I think, I think Carol would agree, you know, it is a victory, but it's a loss just to have to go through this process. Yeah, and uh, the victory is broader than just Carol Cadwallader, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. we've got a multi-millionaire taking on a lone journalist. I know Carol managed to get support from 29,000 different individuals after crowdfunding her defence, but uh, that's an astonishing level of public appeal to have to go to to try and defend yourself. Yes, in- I mean, if, if we... Yeah, if we look at other cases, which are called slap cases, Catherine Belton, her book, Putin's People, she was defended by Murdoch's HarperCollins. So she had a big legal team, Tom Burgess. He was also defended by his publisher. So, yeah, I think the solitude of it all. And I think we have to look at the law this way. You know, if there was an original publication, I co-published with her on The Observer, surely that should be the subject of litigation, not a line in a TED talk. Um, now, the judge does actually say, to be fair, fair to the banks, fair to the whole case. She doesn't consider this a slap case. She thinks that, you know, that we lost these. He didn't prove it. He had a case to bring. I'm not sure about that. And I do certainly think, given the inordinate costs of litigation, you know, we're talking millions of pounds, you know, tens of thousands just to get to the first hearing. And then, you know, millions when it comes to trial. There should be an early strikeout on public interest defence. I look, look, look. This is clearly in the public. Let's have a hearing on public interest as well as on meaning, and say, look, this is clearly public interest. It's a, you know, it's, it's something or such a matter that even if it's not completely one hundred percent accurate, any inference. By the way, it's the inference the audience draw from what Carol said at that TED talk, not what she actually said. Always very complicated with language. That there should be. Well, this is public interest. And she has apologized for us if she's, you know, she said, I never intended that meeting. I never said he, and that wasn't good enough for banks. It's worth pointing out, Peter, and I, I would refer people to the judgment, which is available at judiciary.uk. This is actually quite a complex and nuanced ruling. Even the summary runs to 18 points and yes. pages. Uh, in amongst it, though, it does say that the defendant, Carol Cadwallader, had reasonable grounds to believe that her intended meaning was true. Now, that doesn't mean that it was true, but she was reasonable to take the view that she did, even within the meaning that the court said that her statements had. And that was the basis on which her, her public interest defence was successful. Yes, so it is. It's uh, that, you know, if you're maliciously spreading rumours about politician, if you if it's uh, irrelevant, it's a snipe, it's sort of something peripheral. But here we had, it was, you know, 2018, the emails were first came to light, and we had sort of two years of turbulence around Brexit. And now, as we know, uh, and then suppression 
of Russian interference in British politics with the Russia report. We now know that, you know, so these were questions you're stabbing in the dark. You don't get everything right, but there's something there. It wasn't the banks took the money. But as I've written extensively, Russia, Putin's Yakovko, Alexander tried to interfere in British electoral politics. He held up whatever happened to these golden diamond deals to banks and banks had not disclosed them. So when somebody is silent on these matters, when somebody is evasive or says, I met them once, or maybe it's twice, and it turns out to be at least four times, um, you have a right to ask questions there and to point out these discrepancies. Now, the inference in the audience may be, you know, uh, bigger than you intended. You have to take in British libel, unlike American libel, the unmed meetings of what you said, you're liable for that. But in this sphere, where there is so much concern, where we're talking in matters of great pith and moment there, and we're talking about a politician of political figure, let's put it, businessman, very heavily involved in politics, made lots of pro-Russian statements about Crimea and things like that, that there is a robustness to that speech. You're not on the same level as me accusing of your weird you know, football support or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the background to all this, and you've touched on this, Peter, is Carol's work in covering the links between Cambridge Analytica and the possibility of Russian interference, the attempt anyway, which I, I think we, we could say with some certainty, the yeah. attempt at least by the, by Russia to subvert the results of the 2016 EU referendum, for example. Carol was the journalist who did more than anybody to uncover the role of Cambridge Analytica in that. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and, that and that is what has earned her uh, the, the kind of the contempt or the opposition of, of many Brexiters, particularly people like Aaron Banks. Yeah, I mean, she won a Pulitzer Prize nomination and an Orwell Prize for that work. I came along later more on the on the Russian angle because of these emails. And you know, it goes back to 2017 when I had information that Joseph Massoud, alleged by the FBI Mueller report to be a Russian agent of influence, was going to be Boris Johnson to talk about Brexit. It is the Russian. I mean, she had quite, if you read the court documents, and I knew she had quite an amicable relationship with Aaron Banks. She talked to him extensively and with his uh, head of communications, Andy Wigmore, until and this is, you know, from the bad boys Brexit from 2016 to 2017 until the Mueller report came along and the Russian interference sort of cropped its head. Now, by the way, can I just say, I mean, as somebody who worked on this from 2000 and, well, Russian stuff from 2014, really, from the downing of MH17 Malaysian Airlines over Ukraine. But, you know, I never... I could see Russian interference in Trump. It was just so clear, all the meetings that initiated the special investigation by special counsel Robert Mueller. But I never really thought that Russia was involved in Brexit until these emails came to light. Obviously, you know, it's well documented. We've documented Levy, you would pump up Russia Today, the embassy communications about immigration or whatever it was. There was clearly alignment. But none of us looked for this you know we found it and um you know nobody wanted to find russian interference in british elections and by the way yeah even boris johnson agreed russia uh tried to interfere but didn't successfully interfere is what he said and now and look with the with the force of retrospect adrian you know we knew that putin was most likely to have ordered the assassination of what who's then a British citizen, Alexander Litvinenko, with Polonium. By 2018, 
a um, Novichok attack had happened in Salisbury. But I think even then, we knew that Putin was a tough operator, mercilessly followed his own agenda. It's only now, in retrospect, we can see, you can see it across Europe, funding of right-wing parties, you can see it in American elections, and now we see the actual plan. It was a destabilization operation against the EU and against the transatlantic alliance in order to achieve his objectives with extraterritorial gains in Ukraine. And now, because we ignored it, because people dismissed this, because people were scared by legal suits and oligarchs and Alan Banks's uh, attack on Carol Cadwallader, people have turned a blind eye. And the consequences of that, I would say, is that Ukrainians are dying unnecessarily. Mm. Well, so it is a it is a nuanced ruling, and it, it, Aaron Banks has said that he will, he will appeal, uh, albeit congratulated Carol Cadwallader on her victory. What do you think, Peter? This tells us more broadly about libel law in this country. Well, the judge says it's not a slap case. Um, I, you know, that's that's her judgment, and far be it for me to disagree. Obviously, Aaron Banks disagrees with her judgment. So, you know. And Peter, in a slap case, is a case which is specifically designed to shut down public debate on a particular issue. Yes, strategic lawsuits against public participation, right? Uh, and that's discussing high political moments and you know political figures who spend our money and want to uh, you know rule over us. So there are you know there have been a number of other ones I mentioned: Catherine Belton, Tom Burgess. Um, you know, with oligarchs using the London courts. I mean, there's a the terrible case of Scott Stedman, who runs a thing called Forensic News in the US, which has very few UK readers, about six, I think, or maybe one of them, is being sued in the London courts because our defamation law, uh, as with Carol's case, you can see it, it doesn't matter what you intended. If you inadvertently suggest... Uh, you know, Van Banks took Russian money, which he didn't, well, there's no evidence he did, um, you are on the hook for that. In America, you have to prove um, intent, you know, that the malicious falsehood, there's an element, and the burden is on the uh, claimant to prove you've gone out to harm him, not that you've inadvertently harmed him. Of course, in the continent, different uh, defamation laws, their court costs are lower. London is the favourite for for defamation shopping and because it's you know there's a lot of money to be made there and uh you know because you know money does make a difference in legal cases um you could say even despite the reforms of the 2013 defamation act it still is a chilling place to operate as a journalist and i'll give you one example of that i got to know uh, sir harold evans who died two years ago sadly his um memorial service was held last thursday now, I asked him once, you know, he said, oh, he said, why? I'm based in America. I had to do why. Because there's freedom of information. There's proper libel laws. I would not want to be a journalist in the UK. There you have it. We have mm. sort of a tenuous freedom of information act, which the government seemed to want to abrogate. And a very, very chilling environment. If you're ever taking on um, somebody with a lot of money, because they can, even if their case is without merit, they can drain you just with endless legal letters and taking you through the process uh, that takes years of your life and, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds. 
And uh, I suppose it, uh, final thought, really, Peter. You know, all of us still have to be rightfully careful about what we say about other people. I mean, clearly, this ruling does not give carte blanche for people to say untrue things about Aaron Banks. But at least it suggests that the courts recognise that if journalists are sincere and well motivated, even if the meaning uh, is taken to be different to that which they intended, then the courts will listen to a public interest defence in cases like this. And it, in that sense, at least, perhaps a limited sense, but in that limited sense, it is a good day for British journalism. Yeah, the, every journalist wants to go to the truth defence. I think that's what Carol wanted to do until this extraordinary meaning came from the first hearing. Obviously, that's not carte blanche for somebody to turn up on Twitter with no research and call Aaron Banks a Russian agent. That's just not right. That's not fair to him. And, you know, uh, I saw uh, Karen's wit Carol's witness statement. It ran to 30,000 words. The amount of due diligence. She'd been working on the story for two years before those emails emerge. The number of times we went to Garen Banks for comment on the emails and said he went to the Sunday Times. You know what I mean? He refused to reply, saying, I'm busy. That that it's not it's a defense for the public interest, right? That this is a matter not just of going around spraying libels against people or something which is huge to be discussed and requires response. And it is a test of a journalist's probity, which the judge that she had worked hard. She'd been a responsible journalist, gone to him for comment, done a lot of research, gone through lots of details. So, no, it's not an excuse to go on Twitter and just call people names. It is a defense of the very difficult business of public interest journalism, which is finding out truths about public figures who seek to interfere, interfere or you know, affect our lives as much smaller people. There's no, you know, uh, you know, the judge found that he was deset. He hadn't told the whole truth. He lacked candor about these meetings with the Russian embassy. Now, just think about it. You know, 2016, multiple meetings with the Russian embassy as we're going through the Brexit campaign. That's a public interest. Who can say that isn't? Absolutely, yeah. And just to pick up on that point, Peter, uh, this is from the summary uh, printed at judiciary.uk relation to uh, Aaron Banks. At one part, anyway, the judge found aspects of his evidence in relation to the public interest defence. They found the judge uh, found Banks's evidence to be evasive and lacking in candour. In Carol uh, Cadwallader's case, found that the evidence that Ms. Cadwallader gave was truthful. So, you know, there is a there was a difference in perspective from the judge's point of view there with regard to, to Aaron Banks and Carol Cadwallader. I really appreciate yeah. your time, Peter. Thank you very much indeed for that. And as I say, I would refer listeners to the full judgment. You can go and see it at judiciary.uk. You can either read the summary, three pages, 18 points, or the uh, even longer full verdict but it is well worth uh, well worth reading and, and working your way through that but thank you very much indeed for to peter and just to remind you if you want to support free and fearless journalism then please consider taking out a subscription to the byline times it's a brilliant monthly newspaper peter has a hand in it it's also edited by hardeep mathari who's a brilliant journalist and editor and if you do that you're helping to support byline tv byline radio the podcast and our website, which is where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's at bylinetimes.com.
bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Stay tuned to our Twitter account at Byline Radio to find out when we're going to be live again with more of these. Thanks a lot. See you soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye.